Okay, time to podcast. Ready to embarrass myself in three, two, one. Podcasting. The final frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission. To rehash geeky topics. To seek out new bastions of nerdiness. To timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of HammerStrikes.com. My name is Gene Hendricks, and I am a definite comic book geek. I'm sure you, dear listener, knew that this topic would be coming up eventually. Considering that the blog is named after the letters column of the Thor comic book, I figured I'd tackle this sooner rather than later. Like with my Star Trek obsession that I spoke about last episode, I got into comic books very early in life. I happen to know what my first comic was, but I don't remember when or how I got it. It was Incredible Hulk number 267, cover date January 1982, which was when I was in kindergarten. This comic was kept at my grandparents' house in Fanwood, New Jersey, and I would pull it out whenever we went up there. Any visit, any time, didn't matter. The odd thing about this comic was that I read it three ways over the course of my life. At first, I was only concerned with the pictures, being unable to read at the time. The art, by Sal Buscema, is great, and probably influenced my love of his artwork later in life. I would also say that this comic had something to do with why I like proportional figures over stylized. Sal Buscema, John Byrne, Neil Adams, Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, George Perez, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, the list goes on of artists that draw figures that look real. Now, the second way I read this comic was just the word and thought balloons. Don't ask me why, but for some reason I thought that the yellow caption boxes weren't there to be read. I managed to get the story well enough, but I was missing a huge amount of nuance. Then, finally, at some point, I read the comic the way it was intended to be read. I didn't have anything before or after this issue, but that was fine, because everything I needed to know was contained in this comic. There was sufficient exposition and flashbacks in the issue that anyone who just picked it up would be fine in knowing, in general, what was happening and why. More on this later. Needless to say, this issue started a lifetime fascination with funny books. In my life, I have bought sold and bartered my way into a small collection. I have definitely gone through cycles of weekly or monthly trips to the comic shop, followed by no comics buying at all. I'm currently a not-buying-much phase at all, which I believe will last for a good amount of time, having just purchased a house. Another reason for my not-buying comics at the moment, really, is that I'm not a huge fan of where comics are going right now. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that there's anything wrong with a darker story or character, but I don't like the idea that every story has to have a dark turn. And not every character has to be this grim avenger seeking justice because of some wrong that was done to him or her in the past. Then there's the price. I realize that everything costs more these days, and there's a reduced number of issues being sold, etc., etc., 
However, regardless of the quality of the art or story, paying $4 for a comic issue that I can finish in 10 minutes or less, and I need to have bought issue X of Series Y to understand what's going on, is a tad outrageous. If you were to buy all of DC's New 52 line, for example, it would cost you over $200 each month. I'm sorry, but I don't have that kind of money, no matter how much I like the characters. So, if I don't like the modern comics, what do I like? Well, thanks to a couple of episodes of Views from the Long Box and the Fire and Water podcast, I've recently come to realize that my comic book joy is 1980s and early 1990s Marvel, and late 1980s and 1990s DC. These are the comics that I can read all day long and not get tired of them. Probably has to do with the fact that I grew up with these comics, but I just think they're better in a number of ways. First, while the stories did typically connect, you didn't have to buy a whole slew of titles to know what was going on. In that Hulk comic I mentioned, we had Betty Ross and Rick Jones to give us the exposition of why they were there and what they were doing. We also had a flashback when Glorian, the villain of the piece, showed up. This explained who he was, why he was there, and what his powers were. From that point on, the reader had all the knowledge that they needed for that story. If there weren't any flashback, then there was an editor's note of where to find out what happened. You didn't need to look it up but it was nice to know that you could if you wanted to. Something else I like about this time period is how big stories in one comic trickled over into other titles, but without the need for the Crisis of the Galactic Storm Part 239 kind of crossover. The best example of this is when, under Walt Simonson's run on Thor, the Casket of Ancient Winters is opened and covers the Earth in winter. Out in California, in the West Coast Avengers title, they had a throwaway panel of people skiing while in swimwear. The editor's note simply read, See current issues of Thor for the explanation. That's it. Nothing about what's happening. Just that something was going on. Today, that would either be an entire comic on its own, or you would have no explanation at all. The old way of handling it, in my opinion, is just right since it shows that the titles exist in a larger world, but they don't need to do a full-blown crossover every month. That brings me to the next thing about the older comics. While they did do crossovers, it was pretty limited. At least, I remember it being limited. Yes, after Secret Wars and Crisis on Infinite Earths, the universe-wide crossover became a yearly event, but it was still pretty limited in the number of issues that were devoted to it. In most cases, you would have the ongoing story in the title, Thor for example, and you would either have guest stars like the Avengers that show up in the book, or you would have a mention of it in another title, as with the West Coast Avengers I just mentioned. Having a multi-part, multi-title crossover, where you had to buy all the issues to know what was happening, just wasn't done. This meant that people who liked certain characters could follow them pretty easily through the few titles they were in, and maybe get their guest appearances if they wanted to. I've already mentioned how I like the art in comics that makes it look real. Now, I don't mean real like in Alex Ross painted kind of way, although that is great. I mean that the characters look and move like humans, for the most part. The Hulk is huge 
but he's not 12 feet tall with muscles on his muscles. Superman is extremely fit, but his hands aren't a foot across. Spider-Man swings like someone holding onto a rope, not with his ankles up behind his head. Maybe I'm just terminally unhip, but I kind of like this artwork a lot more than, say, anything from Image Comics. But I'm also the guy that thinks someone throwing paint on a canvas is an art, just sloppy. I think that's enough of me sounding like an old fogey for right now. Let's take a break, and when we come back, I'll weigh in on the biggest question facing any comics fan. Marvel versus DC. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Intensifying out! Freak! Two! Well, I'm in a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. Come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God, damn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. 
looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now, come on, Thank let's God, go. she likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julius, you... I say shut up! It's a man out! A man out! TwoTrueFreaks.com Welcome back. Now to tackle the age-old question, who's better, Marvel or DC? As a fan of both companies, I have to say it depends on what you're looking for in your comic stories. When I look to Marvel, I want more down-to-earth heroes. People like the Hulk, who struggles with the same thing I do every day, controlling my temper. Or Spider-Man, who has responsibilities that sometimes come into conflict such as paying the rent versus saving the world. This is the kind of thing that Marvel does best, bring in relatable heroes. DC, on the other hand, being the granddaddy of the companies, is where I go for the archetype heroes, the iconic might-for-right kind of people. Superman, who could do pretty much whatever he wanted, but he does the right thing simply because it is the right thing to do. Or Batman. No, not the I-can-anticipate-everyone's-move-whatever-they-are-doing Batman, but the master detective who can piece together seemingly unrelated clues into the solution to the puzzle. That is not to say that each company doesn't have its drawbacks. Marvel, for example, has taken the Spider-Man thing a bit too far at times. The I'm-a-loner-not-a-joiner and how-am-I-gonna-pay-the-rent stuff gets old after a while. I know why they do it, but he knows Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure they could hook up Peter Parker with a research gig that pays him sufficiently and allows time for superheroing. Then there's the everyone hates or fears mutants storyline. With so many super beings in the world, why do mutants get singled out? How could you even tell which hero or villain is a mutant without them telling you? Why not have... The Christian organizations go after Thor for being a pagan god. Or the Luddites protest Tony Stark for advancing technology too quickly. Why does it always have to be the mutants? Then there's the DC side of things. Unfortunately, especially recently, DC has tried to be Marvel and failed. They have tried to make their characters more relatable and it usually doesn't work. Making Batman more dark and brooding might be a good idea for movies or a miniseries, but it just doesn't work very well in the comics. The period between Death in the Family, where Jason Todd was killed by the Joker, and Lonely Place of Dying, where Tim Drake came in, was a good exploration of this. But once Tim became Robin, that started to turn around. It didn't last, though. Then there's DC's theory that everything has to tie together. So they tried to bring Smallville, a series which I never liked, into the comics, effectively killing everything that John Byrne did in Man of Steel. But that's why I like to refer to as Muppet Babies Syndrome, which means that if characters know each other as adults, then they must have known each other as kids. Personally, I can't stand that. Still, for all their faults, I do like both universes. 
each one has its own set of things that they do well. DC is a much more black and white, good and evil universe. Most of the heroes are beloved by the public at large, and everyone knows who the villains are. In a world with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, you can't help but be iconic about just about everything. Marvel, on the other hand, has a much more real-world feel to it, which is probably why their heroes are much easier to translate into live action. Both the heroes and the villains have flaws that we all see in ourselves, so they are much more relatable. They do tend to blur the lines between good and evil, though, with characters like the Punisher and Ghost Rider being more grim and gritty, using the villain's methods against them. There is one way I think DC is better than Marvel. Although they don't seem to ever do it completely right, DC is at least willing to say, you know what, let's start over. Twice that I'm aware of, DC has scrapped their universe as not quite working and started supposedly fresh. Unfortunately, they just couldn't let go of some things. Green Lantern and Batman come to mind with the new 52, which screws everything up. But it's something that Marvel has never even considered. Yes, I know about the whole Heroes Reborn debacle, but that was never intended as a relaunch, just an event. So, you end up with nearly 50 years of Spider-Man stories that have to fit in, at most, a 15-year period. It means that Captain America has spent more time alive and kicking after he was revived than he ever did in the ice. For a continuity buff like myself, or maybe continuity Nazi, depending on who you talk to, that makes my head hurt when I try and reconcile it. It would be different if the characters were allowed to age. Not at normal speeds, but at least to progress. But no one will ever do that. Now, we have seen some instances of heroes passing on their titles and duties. Jim Rhodes taking over as Iron Man, Dick Grayson taking over as Batman, Wally West, the most famous, taking over as The Flash. The list goes on. But no matter what, the original always returns and the status quo is reestablished, no matter how long it has been. I just don't see what's wrong with moving forward with the characters, especially in today's day and age, where many back issues are available digitally. So if you want Tony Stark as Iron Man, but he isn't the current one, you could easily get those stories. To see what possibilities are out there for what would happen if characters were allowed to age and pass on their mantles, I would suggest tracking down John Byrne's Superman Batman Generations. I've read the first and second series, and think they're handled wonderfully. There is a third series out there, but I haven't read it, and I really don't hear too many good things about it. Well, time for another break, I think, and we'll have some listener mail when we get back. Wow, I'm really glad I decided to pony up and take my wife to Italy for her birthday. The food, the sights, the atmosphere, it's all just so perfect. Too bad I had to ask if there was a comic book shop located at the Vatican. Uh, maybe it wasn't the brightest thing to do on her birthday, but granted, I'm certain I've done things way more foolish than that. Good afternoon. Gah! Where did you come from, and who the heck are you? My name is Dufo de Manzo, and where I come from is none of your concern. What is of your concern is that I have an offer to make of you, an offer that you should not refuse. 
Uh, oh, okay. What is it? I have listened to your podcast, and it just so happens that I am in the podcasting business myself. Someday I will ask a favor of you, one that I hope you will repay to me in good faith. When you do so, you will become a part of my family, and your show will prosper along with it. Oh, that sounds great. What do I need to do? You will know when the time is right. Until then, I wish you and your lovely wife the happiest of times in my fair country. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Some time has passed. And that does it for another episode of Just One of the Guys. Thanks everyone for listening, and I'll catch you all next week. Bravo. Bravo. God! Bravo. How, how the hell did you find me, and how did you get in my house? Do not worry yourself with such trivial matters. I have seen your work with this podcast, and I have come to accept the favor that is owed to me. Uh, but you never said what you wanted from me. That is true, so let me restate it now. Wait, what? I have started up a brand new podcasting venture entitled Two True Freaks. I am setting them up with their own website, twotruefreaks.com. And I am gathering a podcast such as yours that have gained my favor to become a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. I will do the honor of putting the Just One of the Guys on the Two True Freaks network. And in return, our debt will be settled. Oh, okay. Hey, wait, what debt? Do you accept my offer? Uh, sure. I mean, does this mean I'll get paid for the show finally? No. Oh, okay. Well, does it mean I'll get some cannoli? Of course. The DiManzo family originated cannoli. In fact, we are known the world over for our stuffing of creamy fillings in the tubes. Come check out Just One of the Guys every Friday at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Now for some feedback I received on the first episode. My friend and fraternity brother, Bill Kokel, writes, My geek switch was turned on by Star Wars. Saw it in the theater in 1977. We had Star Trek the original series reruns, but even as a youth, Shatner was an acquired taste in acting, and polyester was not cool when you were a child in the late 70s. Yeah, I can definitely see that, Bill. I think that I was too young when I first saw Star Wars, so I probably didn't get it. Bill continues, I get that seeing the first Star Trek movie as a preteen would be awesome, but seeing as a cynical junior high student, we laughed at the funny uniforms, etc. Khan was a much better feel, in my humble opinion, for Star Trek. I still talk to myself about two-dimensional thinking while I'm in a rut. I agree, Bill, that The Wrath of Khan was a better movie, and is definitely my favorite. 
but so far the only real science fiction story in the Trek movies is the motion picture, and I think that counts for a lot. He concludes, So, the summary. I like the podcast, like the length. I get why, how Star Trek was such a huge influence on your life. I also slightly better understand why I like, don't like certain things. Star Wars versus Star Trek, and why I don't watch Doctor Who. Thanks for the feedback, Bill. I appreciate any I can get. And I'm glad it made you think about why you like some things and not others. I find it an interesting mental exercise to look back and see what got me interested in certain things over others. And that wraps up this episode. Thanks very much for listening. The Hammer Podcast is a production of thehammerstrikes.com. Questions and comments can be emailed to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. Look for The Hammer Strikes on Facebook and Google+. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.